Welcome to the Becoming Mum podcast. I'm your host, first-time mum-to-be, Nicole Joy, author, teacher, and wellness advocate. And I'm here to support first-time mums, mums-to-be, and mums who want to be throughout their conception, pregnancy, birthing, and parenting journeys. I'm here to remind you that the path we end up taking may not quite match up to how we thought it would look, and that's perfectly okay. Each week, there will be honest and vulnerable chats about anything from supporting yourself through fertility treatments and morning sickness to hypnobirthing and sleep habits. This is your podcast to help support you through one of the most incredible and challenging stages of your life. Thank you for being here. I truly hope it makes a difference. Lisa Bondarenko, based in Adelaide, South Australia, runs a private counselling practice and provides specialist support to patients and couples primarily dealing with fertility issues and IVF treatment. This is how Lisa and I met. She was my counsellor and the reason I didn't go completely batshit crazy. She also runs retreats and workshops, is a keynote speaker and author of Silent Tears, an authentic account of the highs, lows and everything in between that is often experienced through IVF and a fertility crisis. Lisa has had her own eight year journey to have her little boy, Jack, and today's episode takes us through that very journey with some very helpful information for couples going through IVF as well. She's one amazing lady, and I cannot wait for you to hear this one. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Oh, thank you for having me. It's oh, a pleasure. I'm so excited. I have, obviously, we've, we've known each other for a bit and, and you've helped me through some pretty dark times so I thought um it would be really amazing to get you on the show because you've also got your own incredible <clears throat> eight year long journey mm-hmm. no less yeah uh, that we will dive into uh throughout this interview but I'd love to know as as a fertility specialist counsellor and is that is that the right thing to say that that's that? totally fine <laughs> that's, that's totally fine yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> um <clears throat> how important is it or how, you know, how unique is your approach towards couples that are struggling with infertility because you've been there, done that, you know all the feels of what they're going through? Yeah, look, I think um, I don't want to say it's an advantage, um, but at the end of the day, it's like anything. When you've experienced something, you've got more understanding, awareness and empathy. I think that, um, you know, this is such a unique experience and, you know, I get all all types coming through my office or through Skype or phone and, um, you know, I, I can I can talk the language and I think that's really helpful because depending on what stage of the journey people are on, there's often a lot of shades of grey. People are really panicky about procedures. They don't understand what egg pickup is, you know, and I'm actually able to, dare I say, dumb it down a little bit um, because it's such a heightened emotion, uh, emotional experience when we're listening to the doctors and the specialists tell us what we have to do that sometimes it's like, you know what, let me just tell you about egg collection. It's it's going to be okay, you know. So I think the only downside and I'm always really, really conscious of is that um, I don't necessarily tell people straight out that I've had that had um, an IVF journey. <clears throat> sometimes it's it can take a few sessions and it's not because I don't want to speak about it, but it's also I... I don't want the comparison to come in and often, you know, I guess even with my story, eight years is a long time and it's probably not a great um, statistics, you know, um, it's not a great story about statistics and if I say eight years, people, you see their face drop, especially if if they're on round one. So I'm really, I guess, conscious about treading treading um carefully and lightly and and often people say to me like how long did it take and I'll say and I'll say you know I'm actually not going to tell you that right now because I don't think that's going to be helpful but this is what I know about it and obviously I've written a book and I've got an online course and things like that so it doesn't take long for people to be able to um work it out but yeah I think it's just a fine line for me but I would definitely say that it's like if you were to go to a physio who's you know, broken their ankle and then they're helping you rehab, they understand because they've done it. So it kind of just makes sense. Mm, Yeah, totally. And that's definitely one of the reasons why I resonated so much with you because, as you know, I had a a pretty ordinary experience with fertility counsellors prior to to discovering you and I felt like as soon as I met you, I was like, all right, this girl knows what I'm talking about and you just, I just felt at ease straight away, which which was really nice. You did mention that you've got a book which uh, 
I read after maybe two years, after <laughs> one and a half years I, after you gave to me. <laughs> well, I did. I do. I do remember saying only read it when you're ready, and obviously, two years you were ready, so that's all good. Mm, <clears throat> yes, exactly. And it and it was brilliant. I remember messaging you through as yeah. I was reading it, going, "Oh my god, your book! It's incredible!" Yeah. It was just. I could resonate with it so much and I know it would help so many women because a lot of the time in this struggle for trying to start a family, you do feel really isolated. And and even though you know the, the statistics are, there are so many women out there that are in your boat. If you don't know them personally, it feels like it's just you going through it. So oh, Absolutely. And, you know, the truth about this book was that um, I started writing the book probably six years before um, uh, we had our baby. So this book was always going to see the light of day um, with or without um, the outcome. And um, so a lot of the the um, pages were written in, in what I call the trenches, like they were real raw um, uh, experiences. And, you know, even for me now, um, six years on, I... I when I read it, it just oh, it sometimes takes my breath away um, <clears throat> because I remember very very vividly. And the reason that I wrote it, you know, um, was for many reasons. One was that I felt that there was not a lot of, um, <clears throat> I guess, resources. There are obviously other resources out there, but I just wanted it to be real, authentic, and a bit of a behind the scenes. And you you might be surprised, but the feedback and the emails and the inboxes we get the most um conversations about is actually my husband's chapter mm. and I never never read his chapter until the book was published can you believe that because um you know it took him actually a long time to write he was I'm not going to say he was hesitant but he you know there was parts in that story um of real um vulnerability as a man and um he didn't want to hurt my feelings and um so I you know I'd be saying you've got to finish it it's going to the publishing you know in three months and he'd be like oh but the feedback um from the men has been amazing because let's be honest often the men are the you know the unsung heroes and they're in the in the in the back streets and don't get a lot of attention but I really wanted this book for me um was as transparent as I felt I could be obviously not everything's in the book and again that was very purposeful but you know the crux of it was and and obviously as a counselor and a therapist I really wanted to I guess align my story with therapy um and tools because that's what I needed you know and I felt like that was something that I could that I had the expertise in potentially not just personally but professionally so the book was a long you know I only published it um 18 months ago I think it was but it was a long time in the making and there was sometimes mm. six months in between chapters yeah wow mm. and well I was going to ask you about this later but since you brought it up I'm going to ask you about it now yeah um that chapter written by your hubby, yes. uh, he makes a point that I just couldn't agree more with and that is it doesn't matter whose fault it is, yeah. it's not going to change the process. How how important do you think that is for couples to keep in mind so you don't sit in that it's my fault, it's his fault, that that blame game? Oh, look, I think it's I think it's um it's so important and it's something that comes up so often in in counseling um and it doesn't matter whether it's his fault, her fault, our fault, the doctor's fault, you know, I guess as human beings, you know, most of us and we were the same, most of us just wanted we want answers. Um, but sometimes there's just no answers and that's really hard to get your head around and sometimes there are answers and it brings a lot of shame to to an individual and shame is a really big uh, I know you and I've talked about that and shame for me was a very very big factor in my journey and I know it's not for a lot of people but it certainly was for me mm. um, and so at, at the end of the day the blame game serves no one and actually what it does is it just creates such a, a chasm. There's already a, you know, the bridge kind of gets blown up when you start walking through fertility as a couple. And, you know, it's such a fragile space that um, once we start blaming or, um, you know, the amount of times I hear someone say, you know, he should just leave me and go find someone else, you know, and wow. have a family or vice versa. And it's just heartbreaking because mm. it comes, you know, that comes down to... <clears throat> um people's sense of worth and you know when when you're in I guess the trenches of infertility it's like 
it's you're so consumed by your identity of having to try and conceive and hopefully become a mum or a dad and when that's being challenged you kind of forget that there's other parts of your identity and when people are saying well I'm just going to leave my husband because he deserves better I'm like heartbroken you know so it is it's um, a really challenging and it's a very real and it's not like you can sit and say to someone well, don't feel like that because that's just silly um, because no. it's just a real um, automatic response for so many people. Um, but, you know, I think with attention and, you know, vulnerability and love and support, it's about walking that out because, as I said, it serves no one. It does not serve the process. It b- brings more pain and shame and, um, you know, I try and nip that in the bud as soon as I can, um, but that can take time, you know. Mm, yeah. So I think... And often, and I'm I'm speaking very generically around gender, but often, you know, um, you know, my husband did say in his in his chapter about it. It doesn't serve anyone, and it's it doesn't matter. The the process is still the process, and it absolutely is true. And men are quite often more about process, you know, and what do we need to do, and how do we get that, and like a plus a plus b equals c, and um, and often women are you know uh, in a you know a chasm of emotions and. Um, yeah, so it's it's a real challenging one and it's something that I would say if I had to put, you know, figures on it, I would say eight, eight out of ten um, couples. Um, it's a conversation I have regularly. Yeah, wow. It's such it's so yeah. heartbreaking too because as you, as you touched on it before, like that's just a little part of you. There's so much other substance to a human being other than the fact that they are either going to be a mother or a father. Uh, and and you say in the book too that you know motherhood is not a rite of passage yet it's in society it seems that way you know that's a that's a concept that's pushed i guess on us oh it's a very it's a very big social construct and i know you know for me i being really honest i i felt like such a failure it was palpable um and that's not because you know uh, in all honesty, I wasn't one of these women that grew up and all I wanted to have was babies, you know, like I knew I always wanted to have a family, but I wasn't, you know, um, you know, just one eyed for it. Um, but the moment that I, it was challenged, it was like, um, I was like, well, what am I even good for? Like, and I was so, I hated my body. I was so angry with my body for not doing what P.S. all women are meant to do, yeah. right, um, you know, that there was a really big sense of failure um, as a woman. Um, and, you know, going back to that whole, you know, identity part is that when when we start in a relationship, you know, it's not like you make a decision um, based on a partner just because of what their gene pool is going to be do you know what I mean like it's that right so um to then sit in this space of or you know um it's all about trying to achieve and this we have to get to this finish line and without that we're not going to be anything and I I spent close to a year um in the in the you know end time of our journey in counseling myself actually walking through and preparing myself through the grief journey of not being a mum. Like that's where I was at. Mm. And um, I can tell you they were not fun times. No, <laughs> they no. were not they are not no. fun times at all. <laughs> they are, you know, but um, you know, and I had an amazing, amazing counsellor. But um yeah, so I think that um yeah, it, it's just about um we just need to be kind to ourselves, you know, and as a couple, um, you know, just to show generosity of spirit in in this in this chapter, which is really hard to do because we're painters. Mm. I don't know about you, Nick, but I know for me, where where there's pain, I'm not always my nicest self. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, and so you put you you put two p and you put you know not just yeah you, know, you know one set, but you put months under the bridge and years under the bridge, and all of a sudden we're really working with um, a pretty empty bank account. Yeah. Yeah, I can on every totally, totally relate to all of that, particularly. Yeah, and I yeah. think I remember when we were working together, you you said you're grieving, like this is a loss, and it was such a oh, it was such a profound thing to hear because then it, it was kind of 
what I needed to hear to, to allow myself to go through those stages of grief. Um, can you mm. can you talk about how important it is and or how often uh, dealing with a loss in IVF? Because even though it's it's maybe it's not a loss in terms of like a miscarriage loss, but the fact that you can't have children or that it's not happening for you, uh, yeah. how it's dealt with like you would deal with any other loss. Yeah, well, look, I think um, it's really interesting because, you know, people hear the word loss, when they're around fertility, people hear the word loss um, with miscarriage. Mm. And absolutely, it's a massive loss. But, you know, we need to back up the truck. You know, I remember when we were told, and I still remember what I was wearing, where we were, what doctor's appointment, whatever, and I was told categorically that I would not have a child unless I did IVF. That moment for me was the day one of my grieving. Mm. Now, that's not being dramatic. That's just being that for me, um, I, I lost the dream of waking up and, and you know, doing a pregnancy yes. test. I, lo- I, lost the, I lost the dream of the, oh, what if I'm pregnant if I'm not feeling well? I lost the dream of um, planning. I lost, you know, we lost <clears throat> intimacy and sex. It completely radically changed overnight. I lost... Um, I guess the what I would call the privilege of, um, you know, baby announcements and pregnancy announcements and, you know, in, in its, yeah, I guess what people would say it's truest form, you know, in that moment, it, that was a game changer for me. And I really had to work long and hard at um, kind of acknowledging that because people would say, and, you know, I, I, I probably said this to you, Nick, but I, I will spend the rest of however long I'm around trying to um, <clears throat> make people not desensitise about IVF because it's so common now, right? Mm. So people just go, oh, well, don't worry, you know, Susan, she had a baby after three rounds and you're like, well, Susan, like I don't actually care. Um, Susan's not me and um, <laughs> that's kind of irrelevant and it's just so normal and celebrities are having babies with IVF and it's you know kind of like oh well don't worry but actually like I said in that moment when the doctor said and he was on a whiteboard and he he gave me percentages of what my chance was like that was the beginning of my grieving mm. um so you know I think miscarriage is absolutely a massive loss in fertility but you know it's also the the loss of you know the change in the changes in the dynamic of relationship it was a loss of finances you know we spent years as you can imagine in eight years and tens and tens of thousands on medical and I would watch our friends having holidays and buying new cars and doing all this and we were flipping houses to keep money in the bank to be able to do the next round you know Mm. that's a loss that's a grief you know and I wasn't necessarily after, you know, whatever the fairy tale was, but I was grieving and um, you'll, you'll love this. I remember, I remember going into a counsellor um, very early on and I was so matter of fact and I, you know, I'm a bit embarrassed saying this <laughs> because she, she probably thought I was just some freak, but I walked in and I was like, okay, so my name's Lisa and um, I just need to let you know that um, we've got some fertility issues. I know there's five stages of grief probably at stage three um but I really need you to know I I really need you to tell me how many sessions it's going to take me to get to five and get over it (laughs) (laughs) she like was sitting there with a clipboard or whatever and I'm like yeah um this is not going to work for me because I can't you know like I need I wanted to be out of the pain I wanted to be out of not feeling great I wanted to be out of the loss um and you know, that's not how grief works. Unfortunately, I wish it did. But yeah, so look, I think infertility, the, even the language of infertility is a lot, is a grief. Um, and for some people, like, as I said, I, I was, you know, I'm not everyone, but for me, doing IVF was a grief. Um, did that stop me doing it? No, but it just meant that there was pain associated with that. And I needed to process that and not feel week because you know people like well what's wrong with you like just go and do it and then you'll get a baby Mm -hmm. you know and it's like oh wow but this is not what I dreamt of and you know sitting in those clinics and just sitting there going please god don't let me see anyone I know please 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 you know like that's that's not what you hope for right I that's (laughs) yes I'm just sitting here going "Mm -hmm, yep that was me and then and then and then you know we got the the most amazing miracle but the pregnancy you know we 
I, it was not like, oh, here's our announcement and it's all cute and it's all this. Like I couldn't breathe for 40 weeks, mm. you know, just thinking, just in absolute panic. And, um, and by that stage, you know, I'm not saying I was grieving that, but, you know, everything changes. Like, you know, our, our, our filter looks different. And it's not to say that it's all bad. It's just that it's kind of a shift. And I know for me um, that that was a very big fork in the road sitting in that doctor's office and for someone else they'd be sitting there and they're very and I see it all the time people come in and they're they're very practical and they're very logistical and they're actually okay and I think that's awesome but that just wasn't me you know and that's not everyone but I think the only thing that concerns me with IVF these days is that people have become desensitized so when someone says to a friend, oh, I'm having to go through IVF. There's not, and I don't think we need to be shock horror. Oh my gosh, are you okay? But I think the level of understanding and empathy of what that really means is not there anymore. It's kind of been diluted down because it's just normal mm. now. And there's, no, and you know this, Nick, there's nothing normal about having to go in for tests and injections and, you know, um, scans and checking follicles and all, and pessary creams and then going in the two week wait, give us strength, yeah. you know, like that's, there's nothing, nothing normal about no, that. A hundred percent. Oh. So I think, I think the grieving process, you know, absolutely you know, whether we like, I, I say it all the time, I think I even read it in the book, you know, grief is one of those things that is like an angry toddler. It demands our attention. It might not demand it in the moment. And I got away with it for a few years, I've got to be honest, because I just went into doing mode. I went into, I did everything that, you know, everything they told me to do, back-to-back treatments, you know, drinking kale juice, standing on my head, mm-hmm. you name it, whatever. Um, and it, until it hit me. And then, you know, then I could no longer... Um, I could no longer cope and I remember I quit my corporate job um, and went back to uni that's when I went back to uni to get my degree working part-time and um, and studying full-time um, because I just couldn't pretend any longer like I, I remember waking up one day going oh my gosh I've actually lost my ability to fake it I won so many academy awards that that then I couldn't do it anymore and that's when I knew like the only way through grief is actually mm. through it, which just sounds really simple, but it really is yeah. not scary, not avoiding. You have to be. It has to. Has to be. Has to be, and I call it the snot bubble crying, <laughs> like that. And cultural, <laughs> The snot bubble, you know, and bless my husband. The amount of times he would just in the in the end would just remove his business shirt in the morning to go and get changed because I'd snotted mascara and dribbled all over it from you know like that real bellowing um wailing almost so you know grief is grief is the real deal and and I think grief is a beautiful thing too which sounds really crazy but you know grief is one of those things that teaches us so so much about ourselves and it gives us so many opportunities if we're open to it to actually authentically really um, go deeper with ourselves and with others and I think that's a really powerful thing and to be honest that's why my book was written because when I pressed send on publish I'm seriously I thought I was going to dry reach because I thought this this is like not my prettiest chapter of my life why am I telling people about it like who does that that's not even normal you know um and it was like actually because if one girl picks this up or one man picks this up and it speaks to their grief and carries them even for a moment you know what then it was worth it I'm so glad that you pressed publish on that and you put this out into the world that's exactly what it's done and I know it's not just one man or one woman there'd be loads out there that would have got so much so much from this book um so with with the grief is it um I guess common to sort of think you're at one stage and then you regress a little bit and you're back yeah because I felt like that I felt like you know the denial and everything you'd get past it and then you get there and then you'd be like yeah okay all right I'm moving forward and then the next week you're like no fuck this I'm over it again and you get angry and it's just you feel like you're going backwards yeah yeah absolutely but here's the thing it's you know 
you're not going backwards, you're actually moving. And I say to people all the time, if you're moving, I don't care if it's backwards, forwards or sideways, it's actually better than being stuck mm-hmm. and paralysed. And that is often what happens to, you know, all of us or any of us is that we get paralysed in one of the stages, whether it be the denial or the depression or um, the anger or whatever. You know, so I don't care if, if someone comes through and they've, seen the four stages of grief in an hour session with me I'm cool with Mm -hmm. that you know because it's still moving um and and you know it would be remiss of us to just think that you know that we can just move through it and you know there's and you know this is not rocket science there's no timeline on grief um but you know there kind of is in people's opinions right um and unfortunately people don't have a lot of grace for you know and and certainly you know and I can speak of this you know eight years is a really long time you know and so in the beginning especially people really um well first of all we didn't tell anyone for a couple of years to be honest so kept that under our hat and then it became too hard to but after eight years people don't really know how to handle you and they don't know what Mm. to say because there's nothing really to say um, but my, my thing is always, I'd rather say the wrong thing in fear of saying nothing. Cause that's what happens to a lot of couples is that people just avoid them. They ignore it. Let's not ask. Cause we don't know what to do with tears. Um, or someone cracks it and says, I'm not going to Mary's baby shower. Who's her cousin. And then the mother-in-law rings and the, and says, you're being a little, you know, like I've heard it all yeah. right. But, and, and anger, you know, is one of those things like that families, need to be able to hold and actually really hold their loved ones in that stage, Um, which is, I don't think that hard to do, but actually it is because I I see a lot of times it doesn't happen. And I think it's more about people don't know how to. Um, But, you know, it's okay to be angry and not want to go to that baby shower. It's okay to be, you know, angry about having to take out a loan when everyone else is flying off to Hawaii or wherever you know it's okay like it's okay and to not feel it it's going somewhere you know it's going somewhere um and so there's there's this pressure also I've got to get work work through it because I'm going for um transfer and I don't want bad juju or energy when I'm having transfer and so and and so then it's like quick I better deal with it but it just doesn't it's it doesn't work like that you know it's just about providing a space for yourself I think yeah, for sure. So what's the advice that you would give to people who don't know what to say to their friend or their cousin or their sister that are going through IVF? Read my book. Yeah, <laughs> um, besides that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because, you know, it's been interesting because I've had lots of mums of daughters ring me after reading my book. And I remember one mum said to me, um, I feel like I owe my daughter and son-in-law an apology because... I never really understood what they've been going through. I thought I did, but I, I don't know that I've been as supportive as, as I could have. Because, see, the thing is, is knowledge is power, right? And you don't, it's like you don't have to go through every experience in life to stand by someone who's in pain. Um, it's just about, you know, having that human touch and that, that I think the, the biggest thing I would say to people, and I, I alluded to it before, is don't avoid them and don't, don't be afraid of emotions, you know, because it's like people are scared of crying. People are scared of, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I'm like, yeah, but so you say nothing? Do you know what nothing actually means? Do you know what mm. nothing speaks the volume of that? Um, so I would just say, you know, like I said, I'd rather say the wrong thing in fear of saying nothing. So it would be that I don't really know what to say, but what? who do you need me to be? I say that a lot. Who do you need me to be? Now, for me, in all honesty, and I don't know how you were, but for me, in all honesty, I actually didn't need a lot from people. Mm. Um, I, I, But I just, I needed to be treated normally. I didn't want to be like the weirdo. I didn't want yeah. to be the conversation at dinners when I wasn't there. I didn't want people to make decisions for me on what I should and shouldn't get invited to. I, I, you know, I just wanted to pe- people to continue to treat me normally. But, you know, you put infertility over someone's head and IVF and it's all of a sudden, oh, it's, they're going through that, you know. So mm. I think it's just about um, just being very, very um, empathetic and compassionate. And it's like, you know, I, I haven't experienced 
a disease, but that doesn't mean that if one of my friends had a disease that I that I couldn't that I just need to avoid them. It's yeah. just like who do you need me to be? You know, and it and it can be and I, I've said this to plenty of clients before, like I am gonna text you on um egg collection day, just so you know, and you do not need to respond to me. I'm just gonna check in with you. And then I'm gonna text you or ring you or email you in a two week wait. You don't need to answer me. I don't expect anything from you, but that's what I can do for you. It's who I can be mm-hmm. for you. So I think it's about, you know, and with some of the parents of, you know, um, I guess adult kids that are going through it, they say to me, Lisa, I, I've I've had four kids. I I've never known this. I don't know what to say. It's really awkward. It's changed the dynamics of our family. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> um, but who do you want to be? Like, who do you want to be in this? And for me, aside from being a counsellor, right, as a human, I want to be to someone what I needed and all I needed was to be valued, loved, cared for, validated um, and not treated like I was a freak, you know, mm. with massive issues. Yeah. And Does that not, make sense? Oh, 100% and not also being told just relax and it will happen or, you know, it'll happen when it's meant to happen. Like those carefree mm. throwaway uh, phrases really <sighs> – don't help anybody oh. in this situation and I feel like what exactly what you what you said before how you text them and go I don't expect anything but I'm thinking of you yeah, today correct. like that meant and you know I'm because you did it for me too mm. like that <laughs> just meant so much or and I remember at a, at a certain stage I actually had to text all of my close girlfriends that knew that I was going through it and just say, I just need you to stop asking. I, I'll, I'll talk to you when, when I'm ready. I can, mm. you know, um, it, it, and it wasn't a matter of shutting anyone out or trying to do it on my own. I just needed to have that space that I could just stop trying. I felt like I was trying to be fixed or I, I, I could feel the pity yeah. And yeah. I didn't want the pity. No. And I know, you know, it, I guess sometimes it just, it happens, but I could feel it. And I was like, okay, we just need to back up and yeah. just stop asking me about it. Stop talking about it. And I'll come to you when I want to talk about it. And I, and I think also just the, the generic one-liners of like, oh, Susan had a baby, you'll be fine. Or go away on a holiday and relax. Or, you know, <laughs> um, if you, you know, eat, kale juice and drink whatever you'll be you know that'll happen and it's just like actually no you know Mm. don't let's not categorize people and let's not just you know do blanket statements because actually do you know what those statements and sentence are about it's actually about the person saying them making them feel better like they were you know they've done something well at least I encouraged well no Mm. because it's not helpful and um you know I think there's nothing more powerful than that you know who do you need me to be right yeah, who do you need me to be that's so good who yeah. need me to be who I really love that yeah. because I think and you're so right too because people will say those things because then they'll go well at least I said that oh yeah and I got to the point um <laughs> I'm like I got to the point where I was when people would do that when are you gonna have babies and you know all that sort of stuff instead of doing the thing that made them feel better I started to do the thing that made me feel better which was flat out well we can't and and just just flat out we can't or we've told we can't or we're going yeah. through IVF and struggling for five years actually and just to see them go scram oh, oh, the, yeah. and I'd think you know because if I would have said my default answer which was and I speak about this all the time it was oh we're fine we're busy we're happy we've got Nobby our little fur baby we're good it, that was kind of like my cover up and yeah. it, my default answer. So for them to start turning around and going, you know what, that makes me feel like shit because I'm lying. So mm. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. And to most people would just go, oh shit, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm like, yeah, well, so I, now I, you know, don't ask. Don't ask. And I think don't, don't be ignorant and don't be obnoxious. If you haven't got mm. anything nice to say, don't say it. And if you don't genuinely care um, or are just doing it. You know, I had people say, you know, would go back via my cousin's mother's uncle's. Who's, well, I tried to talk to her, but she wouldn't respond, you know. And it's like, did you really or did you actually just give me like a, a one-line script 
that meant nothing. I don't know, you know. So, yeah, mm. look, I think it's about, um, yeah, just being authentic. And, and if, if you don't know, ask. Because the chances are, unless you've been through IVF, people think they know what it's about. But you and I both know, until you've walked every step of the way of mm. every process and procedure, you have no idea. <laughs> and that's yeah. just the physical and, and the medical. Then you've got the emotional. I was just about to say, yeah. yeah. And then you've got the mental and then you've got the spiritual yeah. and then you've got the marriages and relationships. I mean, that <laughs> is so layered. So yeah. to just go, well, don't worry, Susan had a baby after three tries. You're like, really? <laughs> Poor Susan. Yeah, I think you got her. But, um, Poor Susan, I know. Susan. Sorry, all the Susans out there. <laughs> um, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, you've actually got no idea the weight and the burden and it's really just opening up to the the that fact that you know what I don't have the answers but I'm here for you if you need like literally that's the best thing if you can't say anything else just say I'm here for you and I'll do whatever you need me as you said who do you need me to be or what do you need me to do you know drop them off a coffee no no language needs to be passed through your lips Mm. you know like it, it it doesn't have to be anything big and grandeur you know yeah that's such good advice so if, if you are listening and you're thinking oh dear I've dropped a few <laughs> a few of those one-liners it doesn't make you a terrible no, person not at all. but now you know now you now you know next time you see that couple next time you see that person you can just say here I'm here here's here's some flowers or here's a coffee or here's some cake or a muffin you know um you don't have to do anything amazing. No one's expecting you to make the problem go away. No one's expecting you to deliver a baby no. in a stork. No. Not in a stork. What's that? Is it the stork that flies down with the baby or whatever it is? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something along those lines. If only it were that easy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I've spoken about um, this quite openly uh, and that's the shame or the stigma mm-hmm. around uh, undergoing IVF and it's something I felt you know that but oh did you really try everything did you go and have these herbs and did you go and do this and did you go and do this a I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this but did you feel that and b yeah how how, like can we change that like is there something we can do to change that I don't know look I I hope so I think it's about um education I think it's about wisdom and understanding I, I mean I I get rolled up when I've got couples in my office and you know, they come in with, you know, what's been said during their week or whatever. And I just think, oh, my God, I'm like, I, I just need to apologise, you know, like on behalf of humanity. I just, we just <laughs> got to keep chipping away. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I think what people don't understand is that when you tell someone who's going through IVF um, <clears throat> that, you know, or, or, or dare to even question have they tried everything is the greatest insult of intelli- of their intelligence of their heart of their values and belief system because I'm going to put up go out on a limb and say you know not many people choose to do IVF without trying everything mm, and course. when we do IVF we're still trying everything on top of IVF yeah so uh, I think there's a real dangerous part of our society and you and I've talked about this before of the health and well-being gravy train that you know yes says you know um well for $99 I've got you know the answer to x y and z and look I I'm a big believer that there's many pieces of the puzzle however (laughs) um just because you do one thing or just because um it's worked for someone else is not going to mean that it works for you and Mm. then that brings shame again because it's like well I did that and they've got a statistic of 98% success rate of you know um natural therapy approaches and I was one of the non I was one of the two percent and so it just builds this case um you know the danger of well if you just manifest it and think about it and have positive thoughts and I just think oh my goodness it's so dangerous because what that says again is that if it doesn't work for you, then what's actually wrong with you? You yeah. failed not just to conceive, but you failed to create something that the world and society tells us that we should be able to do if we're doing all the right things for our body. And yeah, mm. I just, it, it, to be honest, it's one of those topics that really riles me. Um, I, I lived it for eight years. Yeah. Um, I'd have people sending me emails with links and all of that. Oh. And I appreciated whatever, but 
you know, when people are like, do you think um, that you've got unresolved anger in your life? Or do you think that you're just not, maybe you don't want a baby and subconsciously your body and oh, I just God. Yeah, I've had it all. I could write another book, right? You know, or that, um, yeah, like it's just, or have you tried manifesting and and thinking about this and imagining a baby? And I'm like, like, honestly, in the beginning, I would be like kind of deer in the headlights. And then I started to eye roll and get angry because I'd be like, Mm. who do you actually think you are? How dare you question whether I've tried hard enough? You know, like it's just, it's insulting. So I think in answer to your question, I think that um, people need to keep their mouths shut, you know, more and be kinder because actually, you know, when we're in that, those trenches and we're just holding on to hear, do you really think you've given it everything? Do you really mm. think that, you know, maybe you could do X, Y, and Z? Wow. It's, you know, and then a lot of the times in counselling, I'm working with couples that we're just trying to process hurt and pain from relationships, let alone IVF, you know, the oh, things people yeah. say. Mm, because that that's the whole other dynamic that I guess can, has the potential to change. Every couple is different yeah. um, about how, you know, they process it and obviously men and women process things very differently. Um, you you say in the book you were told by a specialist that there is a very high divorce rate yes. for couples going through IVF and to look after each other. So from your point of view, mm-hmm. what can couples do? Because you have actually a really funny story about this. Oh, well, yeah, I can't yeah. remember whatever the, the, the tonic tea. was. The tea. Yeah, 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 that's it. True story. Oh, my God, I laughed so much when I read that because I remember being in that position going, you're not taking all the vitamins that they said to. And it's just yeah. like, yeah. oh, my God, who have I become? So, so how, can couples, how can couples look after each other through yeah. this and not yeah. turn on each other? Well, I think it's, you know, uh, look, I would love to think that down the track that um, counselling for couples is mandatory with with um, doing a cycle, like, you know, and there are mm. some clinics that do it, but I'm talking really like you're not doing a, a cycle until you've had counselling um, because yeah. I think, you know, I, I talk about the roadmap and there's not necessarily a one-way roadmap, but yeah, there's definitely tools and there's definitely things that we can do um, to, I guess, support Um, one another I think first of all just understanding that men and women especially do things very differently and um, so even just sometimes when I go through that with couples just from a gender um, space it just it's that oh right you know and that Mm -hmm. um, you know that's that's powerful I think that we have to have to have to and I'm not saying that I know the magic pill for this but we have to be able to have life outside of IVF and fertility and babies that we you know we have to have a space in our world you know regularly during the week weekends that actually we're not that couple are doing fertility stuff that we actually get back to the basics of why we're even together and what we do and what does that look like um so I think that's really important um I think it's actually super important and I would say this more so for men that they have some mates that they get to regularly connect with um, because often us women, you know, we use our husbands as kind of the drop-off point of how we're feeling and what we're thinking and all that kind of stuff. And and you would know from reading my husband's chapters, you know, they get pretty burnt out and they don't necessarily mm. go anywhere with their stuff. And they are equally, you know, people say to me all the time, but don't you think it's harder for women? No, I don't. I think it's equally hard. It just looks different. Yes, the women predominantly have to do most of the medical physical stuff but don't underestimate you know the mental and the emotional and just the carrying that the guys do um walking on eggshells you know just paying the bills and just trying to you know the amount of men that I've had in my office and it's heartbreaking who are like just I just want my wife back Lisa like I've just Mm. she's gone you know that gives me goosebumps yeah like I've just and I and I I love her so much and I want I will do anything to make her happy but I'm just dying and I don't know if I can do it anymore you know it's heartfelt it's gut-wrenching um Mm. so I think it's you know I say to the women let your men out you know like you I don't Mm. care whether you need to connect them with their mates and in fact there are I remember one particular couple I said to her, I said, your homework is to ring every one of his mates, and there was only about three or four, and actually 
ask them if they will look after him. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, I, you need to ring them and just say, I need you to take him out for a bite to eat. I, he needs you. He's never going to ask you for that. But I'm, I'm giving you permission to use me um, with the knowledge that he's not okay. And she did that. And he went out like a week or two later and went and played golf and they had a schnitzel and beer or whatever. And he came back. He was like, oh, my gosh. He goes, it was just, he goes, I felt like I could breathe. So I think it's about that honouring, that honouring that, you know, there's a woman going through it, potentially, and a man going through it. We do things very differently. Let's not try and make each other the other person. We need a, we need a bit of a tribe, and a tribe can be one person outside of the marriage. Yeah. We need counselling. We need, um, you know, therapy that and a therapist that can just sit on the outside and encourage and deposit knowledge and understanding and um, equip people with, you know, simple tools. It's not rocket science, but sometimes when you're in it, you can't see it, you know. Mm. Um, and and you've got to have goals that are outside family, outside of a baby. What are you going to do this year? Where are we going to, like, what's the goal? Where are we going to go to travel? What do we want to do? Who do we want to be? Mm. And to really continue to, to live like that. Otherwise, it's all consuming. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think too, uh, sometimes accepting the fact that um, your partner may not be as open to chatting to a counsellor as you are at first, you know, Mm -hmm. and not forcing them into you. We have to see a counsellor because then they will go running the other way very fast. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's about giving each other the grace to, um, just walk the journey themselves, you know, and not mm. have to. And, Which can and be hard because you're so like, hard. but if you want this as much as me, yeah. you should be doing what I'm doing. And, yeah. and you get into that sort of mentality. Oh, I was there. <laughs> yeah. And that's I what, what I, that's I see like. all the time. And generally, you know, generalizing, but it's the women saying, you know, I just don't even think he wants mm. a baby because he, he's not even doing this and he's not even doing that. And I'm like, wow, oh, I can understand how it looks like that to you. But, you know, let's unpack that a bit. Um, and to just sometimes give each other space, you know, and I say to people all the time, you have to go out on a date and I don't care if you sit across the table from each other and do not speak, but you will not speak about doctors, body, medical, IVF, drugs, Mm. money, like it's off the table. So find something else to talk about. And some of the couples that come back, they're like, well, that was a fun dinner. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> well, you did it. So well done. But, you know, mm. it's, and it becomes a discipline, right? Because it becomes so all consuming. And all of a sudden in our marriages, we've got a third, third party. And it's a whole IVF mm. clinic with the embryologist, the receptionist, the doctors, the mm. nurses, and yeah. you, you know, so it's about honouring the relationship and giving it space. Oh, such good advice. I'm sure people listening, oh, well, that will help a couple, couples that were listening for sure. Uh, another thing that you say in your book that I love and because an analogy that you used really, really helped me, you're not responsible for your infertility but you can choose to be responsible for it. And I love this because you spoke to me about, I remember that, I almost remember the day that you told me, it's like you've been hanging on the tailpipe of the car, like you haven't been in the driver's seat, you've been yeah. flung around the roads, it's time for you to get back in the driver's seat. And I was yeah. like, yes, yes, it is time for me to get back into the driver's seat. So can you just um, elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, sure. Look, I think um, infertility kind of throws you into um, a vortex of being out of control, you know, and that we become... I guess, you know, victims of just being told what to do, how to do it, where to do it, what needs to happen. And, um, and, and even when we do all of that, it still might not work. And so as human beings, most of us like to be in control, which by the way, doesn't really exist, but we think it does. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I say to, I say to people, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to be our biggest advocates. And I can tell you, (laughs) there were many meetings with doctors that did not go well in the sense of um, I could tell they'd just given up. And um, I, after a few years, found the fire in my belly. At at first I was just so passive and just did what I was told. And in the end I started to get really angry about, like, it's not okay for you to Google while I'm in your meeting about me. Like, that's not good enough. You, You know my case. You know the scenario. 
haven't you got better? And I remember one time just really confronting this doctor and my poor husband sitting by the side, like literally uh, he was just wincing, wishing he wasn't in there. Um, But I think it's about, you know, just rising up with whatever you've got left and actually having a voice and and being unapologetic because I think what happens, not I think, what I believe happens in the um, medical world is we become numbers. And, you know, I remember Mm. saying to this doctor in this meeting, I'm like, what would you do if I was your wife or your adult daughter? I don't care what you're looking at your policies and procedures. I want to know what you would do if I meant something to you, you know, because um, it's my life, you know, and I remember going, this is my life. You you are literally Googling statistics, but have a look at me. I'm a human being sitting in your office. Like I'm right here. Like, so, um, and I, I learned over time, my gut was always right that I, um, would go and have second, third, fourth, fifth opinions. I went global. I had opinions all over, you know, like I, I fought hard um, mm. and, um, and not to just, um, not, not to just do what we're told because, you know, I have great respect for these medical experts for all that they've learned and all that they do. Great respect. But I think it's okay for us to go, mm, this isn't working for me. You know, and I I moved clinics, you know, I didn't stay with one clinic. Um, and that was for a variety of reasons, not because they do things differently because it's fairly similar, but it was about atmosphere. It was yeah. about environment. It was about nurture. I needed nurture. That's actually mm. what I needed, yeah. you know. I knew the clinical stuff. I knew the stuff. I knew, you know, take 25 mil of this. I knew all of that, but I just needed someone to be nice to me, mm. right, and I, I moved based on that. And yeah. some people thought that that was just being a princess, but I was unapologetic. No way. Because I knew what I needed. Mm. But that came with time. And I think in the early days, and I don't know how you felt, but I think in the early days um, I was so bamboozled with stuff and I so didn't have a hold of or understood and I was so desperate for this to work that I just went, okay, no worries. Even when, you know, I was like, okay, I don't know about that. Mm. Um, and you know I think I'm a big believer in medical you know um, western you know I did it all and I truly believe that all the pieces of the puzzle um, add up but what works for someone doesn't work for someone else so why we can't just go through a system and um, and think that it's going to work just because it's on paper you know so just being open to trying different things and having courage, you know, just having courage to question and also having courage to not listen, especially to people that tell you, and I'm not talking the medicals, I'm talking everyone else that's got an opinion of what you should be doing. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm, boundaries. Which is everyone. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just about boundaries. And, you know, there, there were times that I had to remove myself from friends and environments because they were unhealthy for me, that it would take me a week to recover because they were insensitive, ignorant, or they would you know, um, say things that were just looking back highly offensive and they didn't mean to be, mm. but they were. So just having boundaries and looking after yourself. Yeah, it's putting yourself first, isn't it? And it's really, again, taking the power back from, I know that the medical professionals are doing what they do best, but nobody knows your body better than you do. And I've and I've had um, other doctors on before who say the same thing. It's like, yes, they, they know all the the things to do and and the procedures to follow but at the end of the day they don't know your body like you do so as you said if you need a fifth sixth seventh opinion go and get one yeah absolutely yeah and I mean I think it's very much about it's a physical journey it's an emotional journey it's a mental journey and it's a spiritual journey so Mm. we we can't not focus on all those things a lot of us pretend that the other some don't exist and we just go through straight through to the physical stuff no, that does, that didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it doesn't, you know, they all need equal attention. Mm, definitely. And, I, and I, I've spoken about it a few times, like getting my mindset right was crucial, mm-hmm. absolutely crucial. I believe if I would have went into that first round with the mindset that I had prior to changing it, it, it wouldn't have worked. There's, yeah. there's just no way. Yeah. And I feel like that inner work, you know, whether you call it spiritual, emotional, mental, whatever, 
it needs to be done. It's that, and it's messy, it has and to it's be done. the 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 snot bubble panda eye crying, but it's it has to be done. And it has to be. And just going back to marriages, you know, you know the saddest thing, and I don't know the statistics on this. I just know what comes through my world is that couples, you know, a lot, not all, a lot end up having a miracle baby, and then three, six, twelve months, they come to me and they're splitting up, and. Mm. And for a variety of reasons, but I know because they tell me that, um, you know, they never dealt with the stuff and then we throw a baby in the mix. And because we didn't do the work on the severing in relationship, like of pain and grief, because we changed through that process, right, um, mm. then it's it's all too too hard and too late. And mm. then I sit there and I've got them in, with this new little bubba and I just think, oh, my goodness, like, if we'd done the work 12, 12 months, two, three years ago, would yeah. we be here? I, I'm going to put money on the fact that maybe not, you know, no. that if if we do the work for ourselves individually but as a couple, and when I say do the work, I'm not talking about therapy every week. I'm just talking about just being real about the journey and not pretending it doesn't exist, you know, yeah. and, and not dealing with it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm seeing more and more of that, which is heartbreaking, oh. you know. They've got, and, you know, they've got what they will – going through all of that, all of that pain for and then then yeah because the focus is so them. on that finish line but we forget that that's not the finish line no. and, you know there was a, a time you know for us in the very late stages where I was due to go in for a transfer and our marriage I'm we were on the brink of it was it was over mm. just with the pressure and the stress and the finances and you know and I was just hating life and um, I rang the clinic and said, I'm not uh, like, it's, I'm not doing it. And they were, because they knew me, they were like, what do you mean? I was like, I can keep pushing for this, but I'll end up a single mum and I need to fight for my marriage. And oh. I took a year, year off, which was really hard because, you know, that whole time mm. clock, all that kind of stuff. And because I wasn't what I thought doing anything, I felt that I wasn't being productive, but actually what I was doing is, we started writing together and going for walks and just re reconnected and started to rebuild. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful we did that. It wasn't yeah. easy. Um, but I can tell you, we would have been a statistic. No, wow. no, no brainer. So no see brainer. sometimes taking that time off and that's actually sometimes, cause obviously a lot of people reach out to me via social media and email and stuff like that. Um, because they know my story and, I'm not afraid to say to them, I don't, obviously, I don't know their circumstances, but I, because I remember you saying this to me, it's, you can, you can take some time off from this. And I say that to them, I go, you know what, why do you have to have the transfer next week or next month? Like, why? I mean, it's not going to make all the difference if you take a month or two or three or four or five off. It actually might make a positive difference for you. Why don't you start putting yourself first? Like, obviously, I can't tell you what to do. I'm not your doctor. But mm. just putting it out there that it's an option that you don't have to run on that clinic schedule. You can run on your own schedule. Yeah. And I've and I've had a couple of women go, oh, thank you so much for giving me that permission, permission. because, yeah. you know, I just feel like a weight's lifted off my shoulder already. No, do I know what's going to happen? It's still uncertain times. I haven't fixed the problem. But just knowing that, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it this month or next month. I'm just going to just going to take these two months off. It can be all the difference. No, I'm not saying all the difference to to, to finally conceive, but it, it's such a nourishing, empowering thing to do for yourself. It's a courageous thing. That's what it is because mm. it goes against the you know tick tock tick tock tick tock and yeah. the panic and the fear of if I don't do it next month what if that's you know so what if that's the last time I ever have a chance to do it yeah, yeah yeah I mean it's and it's scary it's really scary oh yeah 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 for sure oh you have just been an absolute pleasure and I just know how many women will be like driving oh, along in their cars you. crying going thank you thank you this is amazing <laughs> well and thank you for the opportunity and um you know Obviously, I'm super excited about your next little journey with oh, your little bubba. It's amazing. 20, 22, 22 and a half weeks oh as, at the time of recording this. It'll probably be a little bit further along by the time it gets to air. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you've been there from the start. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it'll be pretty cool and I get to send you baby pics so yeah yeah it's awesome thank you so much for today just You're in wrapping welcome. up what can my listeners do to serve you and and sort of sh- show gratitude for all that you've shared with us today where can they go what would you have them do oh um well you know actually I would say if you um if you know someone that is going through um IVF um read my book. This is, you know, my book's for people going through IVF as well, but I think my book is actually for people that don't understand it. And I think that's a great gift for you to, for them to read, to give to their loved ones. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it kind of keeps the message rolling. That's all I want this to be. You know, my, this silent tears is what it's called. And it's, you know, through the looking glass of IVF and it really is, it's just that behind the scenes. And I, and it's a, it's a grief story. It's a love story. It's a, 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 you know a beautiful story well uh, yeah I think so but you know it's pretty and you would admit it's pretty raw Um, that's why I loved it (laughs) yeah yeah so you know it's uh, you know equip you equip themselves with knowledge you know Mm -hmm. and step in the gap yeah step in the gap is what I would say but obviously I've got my website and all that kind of stuff but I'll link to all of that yeah 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 yeah, that's cool but obviously you know send me messages you know I'm just all about um yeah filling in the gap so it'll be a privilege and you fill in that gap very very well so thank you once again it was an absolute pleasure having you on all right take care babe oh some great advice there from somebody that has been through it and really knows her stuff so even if you're not going through IVF hopefully that has helped you have a little bit of an insight into what it is like to go through and and how you can best support someone And if you know of someone who is struggling and and going through it and feeling it all alone, I would be so honored if you could share this episode with them, as I know it will really help. As always, my aim is to get this podcast into the ears of as many women and couples who I can help. And that will only happen with lots of reviews over on Apple iTunes. So I'd love it if you could take a moment to do that for me. You can leave me feedback on my Instagram account at Nicole Joy Inspire. And for all of today's show notes, visit my website, NicoleJoyInspire.com forward slash podcast and click on the image with Lisa. Again, I hope this has helped you. I cannot tell you how much joy this podcast is bringing uh, to me and, and not only to a lot of people that reach out to me every week and that makes me so happy. So I will see you back here next week.